And to uh, Marcus Nodder for this little book called I Am uh, as we go through this uh, series uh, together and uh, look forward to opening God's Word. I encourage you to keep that passage in front of you as we go through it together. Well, hunger is one of our most basic feelings, isn't it? Uh, it's one of actually the first uh, feelings that we experience as humans, if you think about it. You uh, think about a baby. Uh, as soon as the baby comes out of the womb, they experience hunger. They, they want food. Uh, they cry until they get it. So really, hunger is one of our most uh, basic and first feelings as human beings. But um, adults aren't really uh, terribly different. Uh, I only manage to get a small breakfast usually on a Sunday morning, and uh, by the time we're done uh, with church and lunch comes around, I'm particularly famished. Uh, But there's another type of hunger that we become aware of, not as babies, but uh, only later on in life, and that is uh, a spiritual hunger. So it's still hunger, but uh, it's not in our stomachs, it's a hunger in our souls, a hunger for purpose, a hunger for meaning, a longing for more. The feeling of being empty within, even when our bellies are full. It's a spiritual hunger. I can remember the feeling well of being completely full, but completely empty at the same time. Being completely full of myself, and yet spiritually empty. As Michael Bickworth once said, a life wrapped up in itself makes for a very small package. That's what the great Russian novelist Leo Tolstoy encountered later on in life when he was about 50 years old. He'd achieved all the goals that he'd set for himself. He was ambitious, young, successful. He'd been famous as a writer thanks to his breakaway hit, War and Peace. He was respected, he was wealthy, he had a happy family, a wife and 14 kids. Not sure how that could be happy, but physically, mentally, he was fit as a fiddle. He had everything going for him. He'd done it all, he had it all, and then suddenly that that hunger that we're talking about, the spiritual one, hit him. Here's how he puts it in his famous book, Confessions. Imagine that you're in a dry well and you're hanging from some flimsy branch in the wall of this dry well. And at the bottom of the well underneath you, there's a dragon waiting to swallow you up. And there are two mice, one black, one white, which are circling around the stem of this little branch you're hanging onto. And they're gnawing away at it. And soon this branch is going to snap off and you're going to fall down into the dragon's jaws and get gobbled up. But then as you hang there, he says, you notice some honey on the leaves of this branch and so you start licking it. So I too, he says, clung to the twig of life, knowing that the dragon of death was inevitably awaiting me, ready to turn me to pieces. I tried to lick the honey which had formerly consoled me, but the honey no longer gave me pleasure. And the white and black mice of day and night gnawed at the branch by which I hung. I saw the dragon clearly, and the honey no longer tasted sweet. I only saw the inescapable dragon and the mice. I couldn't tear my gaze from them. 
the two drops of honey which had diverted my eyes from the cool, cruel truth longer than the rest, that is, my love of family and of writing, were no longer sweet to me. So the question this morning is, how do we satisfy that spiritual hunger? Well, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I am the bread of life. Jesus satisfies the spiritual hunger that deep down is is deep down in the pit of everyone's stomach. In Isaiah 55, verse 2 in the Old Testament, the Lord says, Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight as in the richest of fare. It's interesting from that verse that the way that we eat what God is offering us is not with the organ of our mouths, but with the organ of our ears. Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, the Lord says. And so, Father, we pray this morning that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to us so that we may eat good spiritual food and that you, by your Spirit, would satisfy us as with the richest of fare. So it's as we listen to Jesus and feed on what he says that we find the answer to our deepest spiritual longings. He fills up the emptiness inside, he gives us inner peace, and he satisfies our soul. He answers the five big questions of life that everyone has to answer. So there's the question of origins, where do I come from? The question of destiny, where am I going? The question of identity, who am I? The question of meaning, what's the point of life? And the question of ethics, how then shall we live? These questions, they're unavoidable for everyone. Everyone has to answer them. And if you don't come up with a decent answer for them, it leaves you feeling incredibly hungry. It leaves you feeling incredibly lost. But Jesus is saying that he's the answer to every one of those questions. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. And so this morning I want to pick up on four things that Jesus is saying in our passage. And the first thing is that this is a wonderful promise. He offers us a wonderful promise. Anna McGahn is a famous, or was a famous Australian actress, best known for leading roles in shows like Underbelly, Picnic at Hanging Rock, and A Hundred Blood Acres. On, on the outside, she was successful, but on the inside, she was desperate. Uh, method acting had taught her to draw on her own pain, and so she uh, found that chaos is artistry. Uh, She came out as queer and then bisexual. Uh, She was known as the sex girl, and and she went wild, quote, unquote. Uh, But one night, after a day of shooting her next show, she came back to her hotel room, and uh, on the next to her bed, she saw a Gideon's Bible, and so she picked it up and thought she would set out to disprove the existence of God big mistake. Here's what she says. When I read the Bible, I expected to be reprimanded. Instead, I was crowned. The words cut through me. 
They sliced away at my anger, leaving exposed the temptation of hope. The person of Jesus was on my side. So when Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, he's, he's talking about satisfying that deep spiritual hunger. He's talking about the temptation of hope and not just the temptation. But more than that, Jesus actually deals with the death problem. Look at what he says in verse 33. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus is all about life. He says it again in verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. You see, the solution to our problems has to do more than just dealing with our spiritual hunger. It has to do with dealing with the the death problem, which will ultimately rob us of everything in the end. You see, that, that dragon, Leo Tolstoy's dragon at the bottom of the well, ultimately makes everything so meaningless. That's what Leo Tolstoy found. In fact, one time he said this, he said, is there any meaning in life, my inevitable death, does not destroy. So the bread that Jesus offers us is not just the thing that you need to satisfy your spiritual hunger. It's what we need to deal with death and to find life beyond death. Well, bread is a staple food, isn't it? So Jesus didn't say, I am the cinnamon scroll of life. He didn't say, I am the pavlova of life, or I am the chocolate mud cake of life. No, he he said, I am the bread of life. Because without him, we're dead, both spiritually, as we've seen, and eternally. So so the famous, really, opening crucial scene in in Les Miserables is, is a scene of Jean Valjean, who's starving of hunger, and so what does he do? He's stole a loaf of bread, because without it, he'd be dead. You see, large swathes of the population throughout large chunks of history, for for many people, bread was a matter of life or death. Now, that's the picture that Jesus is painting when he describes himself and says, I am the bread of life. So in Leo Tolstoy's imagery, we're hanging from this twig and and the dragon of death is waiting underneath. But through Jesus' death and then his resurrection, Jesus slays the dragon. He smashes the teeth of death and he offers us, us eternal life. But you see, he's the only one who can because he doesn't just say, I am the bread of life. He, he says, I am the bread of life. That's an exclusive claim, which is our second point this morning. A wonderful promise, but it's an exclusive claim. He's not a bread of life. He's the bread of life. He's not saying that he's one option among many. So so you go down to the local Woolies and you've got a choice between white and brown and multigrain and rye and gluten-free and brioche and sourdough and flatbread and the list goes on and on and on. He's not one option among many. He's the bread of life. Jesus says, whoever comes to me, whoever believes in me, How can he say a thing like that? Well, it's because of his unique origin. Look at what he says in verse 33. 
For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. You see, only the author of life is able to give life, but since we've all turned our backs on him and we've been alienated from him, which, by the way, is the cause of our spiritual hunger and is the cause of our spiritual death, what we need is for the author of life to come down from heaven in order to bring us back to life. In one of his last songs... Freddie Mercury, the lead singer of Queen, asked a question. Does anybody know what we're living for? In spite of the fact that he'd amassed a huge fortune and had hundreds of thousands of followers, Freddie Mercury admitted in his final interview just shortly before his death in 1991 that he was desperately lonely. He said... You can have everything in the world and still be the loneliest man, and that is the most bitter type of loneliness. Success has brought me world idolization and millions of pounds, but it's prevented me from having the one thing we all need, a loving, ongoing relationship. The one thing we all need, a loving, ongoing relationship. And Jesus says that he's the bread of heaven that came down to give life to the world, eternal life. When Jesus says that I'm the bread of life, he's saying that he's giving us the one thing that we all need, a loving, ongoing relationship that goes beyond the grave because he died and rose again. But where's the proof that Jesus can do this? Well, they say that the, the proof is in the pudding, don't they? But in, in this case, I'd like, to, like you to notice that the substantiation is in the sign. What did Jesus do in the first part of the chapter? He took five loaves and two fish and he fed a crowd of 5,000. At the end of it, verse 11 says, they had as much as they wanted Verse 12, they were satisfied. And verse 13, that once they'd all eaten, they filled 12 baskets of leftovers. Andrew Wilson asks a wonderful question. Why can't a person who can miraculously multiply bread and fish also count so as not to end up over-catering by 12 baskets? Surely he can also count if he can feed a crowd of 5,000. Well, brothers and sisters, it's because the proof is in the pudding. The, the substantiation is in the sign that Jesus really is the bread of life and he's more than enough. The physical miracle demonstrates he can do the spiritual miracle. Do you doubt that Jesus can fill you? If you leave everything behind and follow him, do you doubt it? Well, well, look at the sign. So in a job interview, you might say, I'm a great team player and I work well under pressure. But any employer worth their salt will follow up and ask you, well, prove it. Give us evidence. Give us an example of how those things are true. And you say, well, well, there was this one time when yada, 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 and if you're any good, you'll make the case. 
You see, Jesus doesn't just say, I am the bread of life. He substantiates it with the sign. And the overabundance of what he provides physically is a sign and a pointer to the overabundance of what he can satisfy spiritually. So how should we respond? That brings us to our third point. There's a simple condition. Verse 35, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. They're part and parcel of the same thing. Come to me, believe in me. It's pretty simple, hey? All you need to do is come to Jesus. All you need to do is believe in Jesus. He doesn't say, you know, you need to get your act together. You, you need to stop swearing. You, you need to start coming to church more regularly. You, you, you need to get your life in order. Here are 12 rules for life. No, there's only one thing you need. Come to me. Believe in me. It's very simple. But it's utterly life-changing. You see, believing in Jesus is much more than ticking some mental box. James, the brother of Jesus, says even the demons believe in God and and they tremble, they shudder. So it's not enough to say that you believe he existed or you believe that he was a nice bloke. In verse 51, Jesus says, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. Jean Valjean knew very well that if he didn't eat, he would die. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. It's not enough to believe he exists. It's not even enough to believe that he died for sins. You have to come to him. You you have to trust in him. You have to feed on him as your ultimate source of life, without whom you will perish eternally. I reckon there's not a week that goes by in the car household when straight after dinner someone doesn't say, I'm hungry. Straight after dinner, I, I, I kid you not. Uh, and then, of course, you look at their plate and you say, well, well, that's because you haven't eaten your dinner. Uh, you, you've done a wonderful uh, colour coordination of everything on your plate, but, but, but you have to eat it. That's why in verse 54, Jesus says, those who eat my flesh and drink my blood, those who do that have eternal life. And now, of course, he's, he's talking about his death on the cross and the realization personally that he died for my sins and he rose for my life. And without him, I really am dead. And of course, that's what we commemorate. When we take communion, that's what it's all about, coming with empty hands and hopeful hearts to receive Jesus, the bread of life, which is why we say, take and eat this in remembrance of his suffering and death and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. We need to feed on him by faith. But as amazing an offer that this is eternal life, never being hungry, never being thirsty, by simply coming to Jesus and believing in him, he gets a mixed response. And that's our final point. 
Look at verse 26. He says, they come to him and he says, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man, that's Jesus, will give you. You see, these guys just wanted a free feed. They thought, well, great, dinner on Jesus. Uh, Let's get on the Jesus gravy train. In other words, they were superficial and materialistic. I asked my phone this week, hey, Siri, what's the meaning of life? Here's what she said. Perhaps it's traveling, uh, traveling the world, traveling to the couch. Uh, Either will do. I can commend it to you. It's a bit of fun. You'll get all kinds of answers. And, of course, it's tongue-in-cheek, but I think it's picking up on something deeper in our culture, that the absence of meaning and and an underlying feeling of futility, that these questions are just a joke and no one can really figure out the answers. And in this materialistic culture, we we talk about self-medicating, don't we? even in small ways, constantly reaching for the phone, constantly reaching maybe for the, for the pantry or for the chocolate or internet shopping. Of course, there's nothing wrong with doing any of these things in and of themselves. Please don't feel some kind of guilt trip. The, the question is whether or not we're doing them constantly to satisfy the, the deeper hunger, spiritual hunger that we're talking about. The advertisers know very well that it's there and they've worked down to a perfect art how to exploit that hunger for their own ends. But of course they're lying to us, aren't they? Material things can't satisfy our deepest needs. It's it's like Tolstoy licking the honey on the leaves while dangling from a twig with the two mouse gnawing away at it while the dragon of death waits underneath. The materialism can't deal with, with the dragon of death. So one response to Jesus that we see in verse 26 and 7 is materialism, but another response that we see is revisionism. In other words, uh, Jesus will will take the bits that we like, like feeding the 5,000 and getting our stomachs filled, we'll we'll take those bits, but we'll leave out the bits we don't like, like the stuff about eating your flesh and drinking your blood. So in verse 66, we read that because of this, many of his disciples, this isn't the crowd anymore, his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. Back in verse 60, it says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? And Jesus has been talking about eating his body and drinking his blood. And so in verse 52, it says, the Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And at the end of verse 61, Jesus says, does this offend you? Jesus does offend a lot of people, doesn't he? A lot of people find Jesus offensive. He has a lot of hard things to say, if you're willing to hear them. He has hard things to say about God, that that he's holy, that he's pure, and that he judges sin. 
He has hard things to say about us, that, that we're not as good a people as we like to think we are. He has hard things to say if you're willing to hear them. Hard things to say about eternity, that, that there really is a heaven and there really is a hell. He has hard things to say about Jesus, that, that he's the only way to God. Jesus has hard things to say about our lifestyle, about what's right and what's wrong, about how to spend your money, about who you can sleep with and who you can't. Jesus has really hard things to say. And, and he asks the disciples, do you take offense at this? But of course, the question can't be, is it comfortable? The question has to be, is it true? If I go and visit the doctor and take a whole lot of tests and then the doctor gives me the results and tells me that I need to cut down on cholesterol in order to have a long life and be fit and healthy, the right response is not, do I think this is going to be easy? But do I think he's telling the truth? Well, how much more should that be so for the physician of our souls who loves us so much that he was willing to die on the cross to take up all of our infirmities and to cancel all of our sicknesses and sin? The question can't be, is it comfortable? The question has to be, is it true? Well, unfortunately, Leo Tolstoy took a different route during this midlife crisis that he had. He he kind of did find God, but, but he turned to the Gospels and he didn't like a lot of what he found when he read the Gospels. And, and, and so guess what he did? The fact that he was an excellent novelist should be a kind of clue. He rewrote the Gospels. He came up with his own version of the Gospel, the, the Leo Tolstoy version. He called it the Gospel in brief. It, he, he just took out the bits that he didn't like. But of course, that's to reject the real Jesus and to remake him in your own image. So what should we do? How should we respond to Jesus? At the very end of the chapter in verse 67, Jesus turns to his disciples, even as he turns to us this morning and says, do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. That's the bottom line for all of us, isn't it? If you reject Jesus, what's the alternative? Who are you going to follow instead? What what are you going to live for instead? What are they going to do for you? Are are they really any match for Jesus? More importantly, will they really be able to satisfy the spiritual hunger? And more important than that, will will that be able to, to slay the dragon of death so that you can live on forever? Jesus, you alone have the words of eternal life. And so let me urge it upon you to choose this day whom you will serve. As for me 
and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Let's come to him this morning in prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the bread of life. Father, thank you that you sent Jesus, the bread of heaven, down to feed us and to fill us, to feed our spiritual hunger, to slay the dragon of death and to give us eternal life. We come to you this morning and we ask you to fill us and to feed us with that bread. In Jesus' name, amen.